Always turning points where we tell both sides of the story. I'm Jake Rongholt. Tweet me at at both sides sports. We got a jam-packed show for you today for the week of January 29th, 2021. We have Ruth Kakias from the Martin Grumanica Show. She also has her own podcast with Beauty in the Cleats and the Tom Gronkowski Show on SFBN. She joined us. And, of course, the super journalist himself, Fago White Franklin III, also joined us. We had, went through a ton of topics to get you ready for Super Bowl 55. Now, this is kind of like the prelude to it. So we got a lot to do here, so let's get into it. Our top five turning points, plus we are going to have a very special turning point at the end of this that needs to be said because I am shocked, beyond shocked, at what I did not hear until Thursday morning with a story that should have been a story because we have heard this kind of story in the past, and I'm just shocked at how the lack of media was involved in this. So let's get into it. Here are your top five turning points for the week of January 29th, 2021. Let's start off with turning point number five, and that is Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff are changing zip codes. Jared Goff is going to the Detroit Lions while Matthew Stafford is heading off to L.A., And I got to say right now, first off, that I understand that the big headline is going to be Matthew Stafford. And why not? I mean, he's a guy who averages 4,000 yards per year. In fact, four of his last five years, he had 4,000 yards. And that's when he was fully healthy. He also averages 25 touchdowns per year and 10 interceptions. And he is a huge upgrade. I mean, huge upgrade compared to Jared Goff, whose numbers have dropped at that point. I mean, Jared Goff started off in 2017 and 2018 with a good relationship with Sean McVay. Uh, You're talking about a guy who had 60 touchdowns and 19 interceptions, but the last two years, 42 touchdowns and 29 interceptions. Also been sacked multiple times and has been making mistakes. And when you have players like Robert Woods and Van Jefferson, the rookie out of Florida, and Cooper Cup when he comes back from injury, You got to go all in because right now the Rams are ready to win now. This is a short-term move by Les Snead because he understands right now that this team is deep in the red and there's going to be a lot of players in the next three to five years that are going to be looking for other places to play. And another problem that I'm having right now with this is that now they lost their defensive coordinator in Brandon Staley. But the Rams Super Bowl window is open, but it's not going to be easy. Because the Arizona Cardinals, they have Kyler Murray, San Francisco 49ers. Looks like they're going to go with Jimmy Garoppolo for now. And then you got the Seattle Seahawks with Russell Wilson and a brand new offensive coordinator, not named yet, but is coming up soon. So the Rams had to make this move. This is the only way that they were going to have a potential chance to actually win the NFC West. And now a lot of people are forgetting about, well, what about the Detroit Lions? Well, let's flip the script. Because this is a long-term move by the former VP of college scouting, Brad Holmes. Brad Holmes made this trade, and he used to be part of the LA Rams. If you take a look at some of the talent that they brought in during the draft, that was because of Holmes. And he understands, along with head coach Dan Campbell, they also got their coaching staff hired up with offensive coordinator uh, Anthony Lynn, defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn, And then uh, Deuce Staley is the assistant head coach. So a lot of big moving parts happening with Detroit. But they understand this was a long-term move. Because Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn, let's be honest, complete disaster. 13-29-1 and in two and a half years with Patricia. Their drafting went down. 
the lack of talent was there and the offensive line was not going well. The defense was a mess. I mean, you're giving guys like Trey Flowers $90 million. I mean, are you crazy at this point? And they tried so hard to make this look like the New England uh, East version, but unfortunately it was just a mishmash and it was a mess. So Detroit is saying right now to the fans, be patient, give us two or three years. We're gonna bring this team back because for once, there might be an opportunity for them to be actually, and I can't believe I'm saying this word about the Detroit Lions, consistent. Because the last time that they were actually consistent was Jim Caldwell. And two of his three years, he actually had a 11-5 record, a 9-7, and and then another 9-7 and record. The only worst record he had was in his second year, which he went 7-9. and And guess what happened? He got fired. It's a whole different day right now in the city of Detroit. And I pray and hope that the Detroit Lions got their guy because if this is what they want, understand this though. Jared Goff, while you're looking at this and going, this is not the future, he's not. He's like a one, two-year guy and they'll probably uh, draft a quarterback coming up in the NFL draft this May. So that's what my thoughts on that. Let's head off to turning point number four and the Green Bay Packers have been making some coaching moves. Yes, after their NFC Championship game and Aaron Rodgers is now 1-4 in his last five NFC Championship appearances, the Packers are cleaning house and that's coaching-wise. Sean Meninga was fired as the special teams coordinator, but the one that every Packer fan was saying was Mike Pettin. Mike Pettin had to go. It was his time to go after three years with the Green Bay Packers. And keep in mind, it wasn't Matt LaFleur that hired him. It was Mike McCarthy now in Dallas. But I'm kind of shocked at how the national media is treating this. They're looking at the last five games and they're saying, oh, you know, he only gave up like 18 points and 15 points. And look at the schedule, folks. Outside of the Titans, this was a, a cake schedule for the Packers. I mean, let's see here. Mitchell Trubisky, Ryan Tannehill. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. And it, it wasn't like, you know, murderer's row for the Packers defense. But this is a problem. And Andy Herman of Packaday Podcast brought up a great point. When Mike Pettin was hired by Mike McCarthy, it was another rendition of the Ben Don't Break defense. And this is getting tiring. The 3-4 defense is not worth to the advantage of the Packers. Might possibly want to go back to the 4-3. But if they don't and stick with that 3-4, they need a better defensive coordinator. Because flip the script. Mike Pettin's numbers did not improve. While he did have actually a better year this time around and finished off the defense ranked overall ninth, good for that. However, the rush defense was a massive mess. Take a look at his last three years. 22nd, 23rd, 22nd, giving over 120 yards per game, not to mention 45 touchdowns on the ground. You can't be doing that. So the rush defense over the last three years never improved underneath Mike Pettin. And that pass defense, while it did improve too, that was also a mess. Take a look at the defense over the last couple years before this ninth ranked happened. 18th and 18th multiple years in 2018 and 2019. Mike Patton was never Matt LaFleur's guy and it was his time to go. After that disaster of an NFC championship in San Francisco, remind yourself, he was down 27 to nothing at halftime. 27 to nothing, game was over, Packers had no chance. And then you go to this year. You're thinking, it's different. It's going to be something better. They just beat the LA Rams. What happens? The Packers are outscored 28-10. to 10, And not to mention, we saw the Scotty Miller 
prevent defense kind of single man coverage that I just, I could not believe for the life of me that Mike Pettin did not call a timeout, that Adrian Amos did not call a timeout and be able to figure out how we can turn this from a single man coverage to a dime defense or something like that. So Mike Pettin had to go, folks. Don't listen to what the national media is saying. They are not understanding what has happened over the last three years. And Packer fans were tired of it. Now, I will say, next top five, you're talking about Wade Phillips out there. He's 73 years old. Mike Caldwell, that could be an interesting one. He's the inside linebackers coach for Mike Caldwell, uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, excuse me. And keep in mind, this was uh, by Andy Herman of the Packaday Podcast. He put this out here. So understand, though, if the Packers don't get Wade Phillips, it's not the end of the world. The guy is 73 years old. And not to mention, while he is a very good defensive coordinator in his first two years, people react to it in his latter years. So it starts off great, but it doesn't have the consistency year after year. And either does Mike Patton, because now he's looking for new employment. All right, turning point number three, let's head to the diamond. And that is Nolan Arenado is uh, also changing zip codes. He's going to the St. Louis Cardinals. Oh, my goodness. Let's get into this one. Uh, this is a bullseye for the St. Louis Cardinals. All right. I mean, this, this is a guy who, you know, you're talking about in 2019, 41 home runs, 118 RBIs, and a 315 batting average. Not to mention, and we'll get into that contract for a moment, big contract. And the Colorado Rockies, they were planning on making him the building block to try and create something special in, in Colorado. But unfortunately, you take a look at the records over the past couple of years, it's just not working. But they had to figure out a way how are we going to pay the likes of Trevor's story? Because once again, another Rocky is heading off to another team. And it's something interesting with that. But I think the Cardinals just got remarkably better with this because now you have Arenado and you also have uh, Paul Goldschmidt. And those are two big time boomers of hitters. And I'm really uh, excited to see that. However, let's flip the script here. Oh my goodness, Rockies. What are you thinking on this? The Rockies just gave Arenado six years and $199 million. Think about that. And they're already saying after two years, okay, we're done with you. We're going to send you off to St. Louis. Oh, yeah, that really made Cub fans happy, Brewer fans, Cincinnati Reds. Oh, God bless you, Rockies. Thank you so much for doing that. I don't know what the Rockies are trying to accomplish here. You already had great hitting you had that building block. It was always the pitching that was always one of the worst. Take a look, they're in the bottom five in the league, and that is an issue for there. Not to mention, you're giving up on one of your top young prospects, and then you're gonna be bringing in like two or three prospects who, by the way, did not have any minor league baseball last year. So now what are you saying to, your, to these fans? Give us three, give us five years, and then we'll be able to improve this. There's no way that they're gonna be able to improve this. This is a massive, massive mess here for the Colorado Rockies. They should not have made this deal because, yeah, you made the Cardinals better, but you didn't make yourself better. And then not to mention, Cubs go get Jock Peterson, $7 million. Look, here's uh, here's an issue with me. I like the move, but what is that going to say about the future of this team? They've only won one World Series, and that was back in 2016. Otherwise, they have gotten there, but they have become the bridesmaid once again of the National League. And I know that Jack Peterson is a good improvement. He's going to do a great job, you know, that Kyle Schwarber's now in the Nationals. But the pitching is still a question mark, and still that bullpen really makes me wonder. 
I like the move, but I don't think it's for the long-term future. I think it's the short-term. That's why they gave him a one-year deal, which, once again, makes me kind of shake my head. And so does this move for the Colorado Rockies. I do love it for the St. Louis Cardinals. All right, turning point number two, and that is the NFL Pro Bowl. Now, give me a moment here. I just, I have to meditate. Talking about the NFL Pro Bowl, everything's fine. Oh, wait, there's no game? Oh, there's no game. There is no game of the NFL Pro Bowl. However, they are going to have a celebration, virtually, I might add, to celebrate all these wonderful players that got in. Yeah, that's not going to get me to the TV. In fact, the ratings have dropped every single year by 10%. They were able to start with the likes of like 10 million viewers back in the 1990s, and now they have dropped to like 3 million because nobody cares about this anymore. And now you're going to do this virtually? So you're trying to tell me I'm going to sit there for two hours of my life and discuss about, you know, how great Patrick Mahomes was and Aaron Rodgers was and Aaron Jones did such a great job and how about Allen Robinson and I don't care. I don't care. In fact, flip the script. I got a better list for you. Here's what I would rather do instead of watching the NFL Pro Bowl celebration or hell, even a game. I don't care. I would rather get a root canal. I would rather take my car in for an oil change. I would rather go out to dinner. I would rather I would rather clean out the bathroom at this point. I'll go do laundry for all I care. I will go do something more productive than sitting on my Rear. I'm not trying to say these two words, it just makes me nauseous. I'm not confident in the Pro Bowl, I never have been, so let's just move on here. Back, let's get out to the next turning point, please. No more talk about this. And finally, our final turning point of the day, and that is Chad Wheeler. Chad Wheeler was a former offensive tackle for the Seattle Seahawks, and now he is uh, without a job because he was arrested last Saturday because of domestic violence against his girlfriend. We don't know the name. We don't need to know the name. She demands to be anonymous. And if you saw the pictures like I did, I was disturbed. I was sickened. I thought it was deplorable. And I always say, if you hit a woman, you're a coward. And I will always say that. But what really got on my nerves the most was when this cry for help was happening, there was nothing, nothing in the media. This happened on last Saturday when his girlfriend, who was dealing with this at this point, was being choked out not once but twice. When she woke up after being choked out the first time, he choked her again. And she was locked in the bathroom. She was trying to survive, trying to be called 911. And then she comes out of the bathroom and there is Wheeler sitting there, allegedly, drinking a smoothie and said, and I quote, oh, you're still alive. And what does the media decide to do on this? Instead of going down the road of Ray Rice, Ray McDonald, Greg Hardy, where this is a top story, this is headlines, this is supposed to be on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, ESPN, FS1, Fox, this is supposed to be a story, and unfortunately it wasn't because the police department decided to say that this was about mental issues. Let me tell you something. We have a hypocrisy in this country. And when it comes down to disciplining athletes, we have a bigger issue. How was this not a story? I get it. He is not, he's an NFL nobody, granted. But why in the world did we use mental issues as an excuse for the actions that this man committed against this woman? Keep this in mind, this guy is 6'5", 310 pounds. This woman is 5'6", and 140 pounds. She had no chance. And thank goodness she called 911 because guess what? He was attempting murder. 
This was as bad as it gets. This is worse than Ray Rice. This is worse than Greg Hardy. This is worse than Ray McDonald. And Fango White Franklin III brought up an excellent point, and you're going to hear that interview later on in the show, that there is a problem in this country when it comes to discipline. Because I, I don't understand. This should have been a huge story because there were women on Twitter in the business that were saying, why are we not talking about this? Where is his mugshot? Why is he getting attention on Twitter? Why all of a sudden are we using mental issues as an excuse to the actions that Chad Wheeler committed against his girlfriend? It's horrible. And I was just offended by it. I mean, we didn't find out about anything. I asked my girlfriend about this. I asked a lot of women about this. I even asked Ruth uh, Kakias about this. And she didn't even know about it until Wednesday. I found out about this on Monday, and I was just blown away. No sports show. No one was talking about it until Thursday morning when I had Undisputed on. I don't understand this point. And you can't use mental issues as an excuse. Yes, there was a report that came out said he didn't take his medication. Look, if you're not going to take your medication, if you're not going to be honorable, then guess what? You do not deserve to be in a multi-billion dollar franchise like the National Football League or anything of matter. Because you're just, unfortunately, you're a coward. You're a coward and you tried to attempt murder on a woman. Not to mention, Adam Schefter finally reported this out, and this was on Wednesday, that uh, Chad Wheeler was charged with first-degree domestic violence assault, domestic violence unlawful imprisonment, and resisting arrest. The third one gets on my nerves, resisting arrest. And you know who never got charged for that? Ray Rice, Ray McDonald, Greg Hardy. Why? Because they turned themselves in. Chad Wheeler did not. And the only reason that we are talking about this is because that woman called 911. And that'll do it for the top five turning points for the week of January 29th, 2021. All right, let's get to our first interview. And that is a Fago White Franklin III joined us here in the Turning Points podcast where we tell both sides of the story. I'm Jake Rongholt and you can tweet it at at both sides sports. He is the super journalist. He is Mr. ESPN himself. And he is helping me out in so many great ways. Also, some friends of mine that are trying to get into this business. And I greatly appreciate it so much. I had to bring him back on because guess what the guy does? He breaks news. And we had to go through three different breaking news items before we got to the main story of fact. Let's stop talking. Let's get to it. He's Fago Franklin III, next on the Turning Points Podcast. It is crazy to me of all of the breaking news that has been happening here. And ever since I have known this man, I, I feel like I'm just like, he's he should get his own app at this point because he just breaks so much news here. I mean, we had some breaking news coming in just about a couple minutes before we went on air here. So enough talk here. Let's get to it. He is Fago Franklin III, and he is joining me here now on the Turning Points Podcast where we tell both sides of the story. Fago, thank you so much for joining us. What is the latest here on the Candace Parker move? Uh, thank you. First and foremost, thank you for allowing me to come on your show. First and foremost, uh, Candace Parker decided to go back home to the Chicago sky. Um, she really wanted to play for her home, her hometown, and she felt like it was a once um, that it was over with uh, with the LA Sparks. Her and Derek Fisher really wasn't really getting along, and she just wanted to try something new. So. She decided to go back home and play for the Chicago Sky. 
which means she's going to have more opportunities to expand not just, you know, her basketball play, but her brand back home. How can head coach James Wade uh, work with Candace? Ah, man, good question. Um, They have a very fairly young team. So implicating her, she has to get adjusted to her teammates. She has to be that uh, leadership uh, type of teammate that we once saw in L.A. And she has to dominate. As we've seen, you know, she had Defensive Player of the Year last year. So she has to go back to Candace Parker being Candace Parker, which is dominating on both sides of the floor. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't believe when that breaking news happened. And I'm like, okay, so what do we talk about here next year? All right. So now we know about Candace Parker going to the Chicago sky. That's a great move. I'm really excited to see that, uh, especially when our own Eric Wilson, you know, was the one that was hanging on to that news detail there, as uh, he told Mm me. All right. Another detail that happened here, Major League Baseball for the first time is not going to have any Hall of Famers in Cooperstown. Vega, what is going on in Cooperstown lately? Why did they not decide to put anybody in the Hall of Fame this year? I have no idea, to be honest. Barry Bonds should have been in the Hall of Fame for a very long time. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Um, I really don't know, to be honest. Like, it, it just really doesn't make sense. And I know all three candidates are just very frustrated. Um, and that's just it. Like, they should have honestly, you know, had those finalists actually get inducted Um for their Hall of Fame uh, uh, appearance, but not to, just to just to allow nobody to actually get inducted is ridiculous. It's the weird year, but again, you got to give Barry Bonds. You got to you got to get him into the Hall of Fame. Period. Point blank. Why do you think Barry Bonds has not gotten in yet, outside of the steroid era? Uh, just the steroids and probably his demeanor. A lot of people didn't really like him um, on the mound, and so that could you know have something to do with it as well just his demeanor and his approach in the steroid aspect. Which pitcher do you put in first, Roger Clemens or Kurt Schilling? Oh, man. Uh, Kurt Schilling has decided to opt out. He said he's done. He's He's been a very emotional wreck right now. He's just like, he's going to withdraw his name mm-hmm. um, from, from <laughs> any type of Hall of Fame, um, uh, being in a Hall of Fame finalist. So I say Roger Clemens, to be honest. But again, I have to go with Barry Bonds. Like he should have, he should have been in. Like, no, there's no if ends and buts about it. He should have been in. No, I agree about uh, Barry Bonds and I mean Kurt Schilling and Roger Clemens. Those were the three finalists, but you know they were through the steroid era, and then we know about Schilling. But it kind of feels like now with the Hall of Fame, they're kind of getting away from what's happening on the field and what's more off the field. What is this going to do for the Hall of Fame choosing now in the future if they keep using political and social? Uh, reasoning. Uh, nobody really wants to deal with that. They're going to probably have a new committee. Um, and then, you know, the players going to actually voice their opinions, which they have been doing. I mean, a lot of people have stated that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, um, they should already be inducted in the Hall of Fame. Why they're not in the Hall of Fame, we don't know. And it has a lot to do, a lot to do with politics. And my whole thing is take the politics out and just, just play it. What they did on the mound phenomenal, and they should be actually um, recognized for what they did on the mound. Not what they did off the field or their demeanor, but what they did and how they inspired other um, ball players. 
Speaking of inspiring, he is Fago Franklin III. Join us here in the Turning Points Podcast where we tell both sides of the story. Please tweet me at at both sides sports. Find Fago on Facebook and un, and what was that uh, story? You said New Stitched? Is that what it's New called? Newstitchedmedia.com. Thank you so and much. you can follow New- me. Yes, sir. And then you can also follow me on my Instagram, which is superjournalist87, Facebook, Fago Franklin III, or you can, either you can type in my name, Fago, F-A-G-O, Franklin III, and then it pops up on your Google search engine. I'll let you do the the plugging in next time here. <laughs> Speaking about that, there was there was some more breaking news. Unfortunately, it was off the field. Seattle Seahawks cut Chad Wheeler. What is the latest on Wheeler and what happened this weekend? Uh, there was a, a domestic violence situation where he basically choked his girlfriend and she had passed out. And he made a statement talking about, you know, he thought that she was dead and was surprised that she was still living. And so that's what he's dealing with right now. You know, I don't really have all the details as well as the world. We don't know exactly what's going on. We're just gathering information as we go along. But right now, that is the situation right now, the domestic violence situation. Is there a chance that he could be pressed with full charges? It could be possible. Again, um, they haven't really released too much information just yet because they're doing an investigation right now. Nate Burleson and Des Bryant uh, sounded off about this whole thing. Do you feel like the way that this was reported was different compared to, you know, Des Bryant's been in trouble with the law in the past. I mean, what, what do you think about how this was reported? Um, oh man, I hate to use the skin complexion aspect, but we all seen it. You know, if it was a person of color, prime example, Earl Thomas. Yeah. Like he was gone. There, there was no if and, and no or buts about it. Uh-huh. The Ravens didn't want anything to do with Earl Thomas during. So they just like, hey, Earl, you, I know you're a great, phenomenal player. You got to go. And that was a domestic violence situation. And it was a headline. This is 10 times worse because this woman was choked out on the verge of dying. And he was over there sitting there saying, oh, well, uh, I'm surprised you're alive. So, and now they're trying to have this rhetoric of he have mental issues and different things of that nature. And that's not right because we see it all the time when there's a white shooter, you know, they have mental illness. But when there's a black shooter, it's like, oh, well, this person was a thug. He might have, you know, history of doing violence or anything of that nature. And it's a double standard, to be honest. Yeah, the only one I could think of that was about as high as what Chad Wheeler did was Greg Hardy, but that's a story for another time. No, I agree. I, I agree 100%. The way that it was reported, it just kind of felt a little fishy to me, but I appreciate what you just said there. He's Fago Franklin the third joining us here. He's also nicknamed as Mr. ESPN. As you can tell, he does a lot of breaking news. He's already been doing it this week, and that's exactly why we have him here on the Turning Points Podcast. Speaking about that, let's get into that, both sides of the story. The NFC Championship game, you interviewed the likes of Aaron Rodgers. What did Rodgers tell you? Uh, Rodgers was very disappointed, first and foremost, with how everything went, how the play call was um, going, especially on that fourth and goal. Why would you go for the field goal instead of the you know fourth and goal um, to actually kind of tie it up? You know, they had to get the touchdown as well as two-point conversion. So he was very flustered and frustrated and inside the locker room um, there is speculation that there's a lot of tension between him and his head coach, and he's really want to pull the Carson Wentz card and decides to opt out and go elsewhere. How much emphasis is this kind of trade rumor uh, with Rodgers possibly leaving the Packers? 
uh, I want to say it's a sixty percent that he's he's leaving. First and foremost, they in in the last NFL draft they end up getting a quarterback. He needs a wide receiver. He needs help. Um, they need an offensive line because he was getting tore up in the AFC champion. I yeah. mean the no NFC championship. And you know what is that actually telling your quarterback when you draft the quarterback? You already saw what happened with Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. You know, Carson Wentz, as soon as Jalen Hurts got in, now all of a sudden, now he wants to leave the uh, Eagles and he wants to go elsewhere because he actually feared, you know, that new quarterback. And that's the same thing with Aaron Rodgers. They probably saw something within this new quarterback that Aaron Rodgers wasn't producing. And this is the second consecutive time that they came up short. How many times is this? So my whole thing is Rodgers, well, you know, he didn't like the play call. He didn't really like the play call. So my whole thing is he might, you know, um, and be intrigued with, you know, an offer maybe from like the coach or somebody. One and four in his last five NFC championship games. And I mean, a lot of blame goes to him and a lot of blame should definitely go to Matt LaFleur. It just kind of feels like I listened to the Pat McAfee show today and he has on Rodgers every Tuesday. He talked about how he doesn't feel like his job is safe. He was also saying that about some of his teammates as well. But I also kind of felt that he was kind of telling Mark Murphy, CEO and general manager Brian Gutekust, look, I want to stay, but you got to give me some incentive to this. Is that exactly what Rodgers was kind of saying instead of what we're hearing in the national media? I mean, it's, it's the passive-aggressive approach. I mean, he's media-trained, so he doesn't want to put too much information out there, right. first and foremost. But however, he wants to get paid. You know, we've seen the situation um, that's playing out with the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. You know, you got to pay the man. If not, let him walk. And that's what's going to happen with, you know, Dallas, and that potentially might happen with Green Bay. Why not just pay the man? That is your, your star quarterback. That guy actually did a phenomenal job with the talent that he had to get you to the NFC Championship, not once, but in two years. And this is a fairly new head coach. So I think that Rodgers would actually get over the hump if they could actually give him something to work with. And not just, you know, paying him incentives and paying him a little bit more, but give him something. Devontae Adams is just one person. They need another person. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, a lot of Packer fans are looking at Bears wide receiver Allen Robinson, for example. Colts wide receiver T.Y. Hilton is also a free agent. So, you know, that's something to think about. Something else to think about is you also interviewed 43-year-old quarterback Tom Brady. What was something that you came out of that interview with Brady? Oh, man, he's just happy to be, you know, back at another Super Bowl first and foremost. You could tell that he was a little bit tired. Um, he just, you know, gave grace and, and and gave praise to all his teammates. Those were the guys that actually helped him throughout the entire year. When it was going through obstacles, of course, in the first half of the season, you know, he had those guys to lean on. So he was just pretty um, glad that those guys was like brothers. Those guys took him in. Bruce Arians allowed him to be himself and allow him to run the offense the way that he knows how to run the offense. And look where they're at now. They just broke history. How did he think that they won this game? Uh, it was more so on the aspect of, you know, the offense and more so defense. Um, he didn't really say too much about the picks, but I will. You know, a lot of people want to praise Brady, but he did throw three picks in the second half. Aaron Rodgers and them did not capitalize. So that was a scary moment. And then you also have to look at uh, the New Orleans Saints. I mean, he threw, what, two picks in the second half as well, too. So 
Tom Brady does not look like Tom Brady. Tom Brady looks more like Peyton Manning in that 2015 run in the Super Bowl when the defense actually won the games, and that's what happened. It was the defense that won that game for them. Still humble as ever. Unreal. Let's talk about humility, though. I mean, I think your best interview was with Josh Allen. What was something about it that you left with that makes you feel confident about the Bills in 2021? Uh, Well, Allen is a leader. Um, I like his leadership capabilities on and off the field. I like Stephon Diggs. What he's doing on and off the field is just phenomenal. He's growing into his own, and he's becoming one of the top Premier, premier, premier uh, wide receivers right now in this game. And my whole thing is with Josh Allen, he's just growing each and every day, every day. He's like a sponge that's soaking up everything. And so even though he was a little bit um, distraught because of the situation with the Chiefs, I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, you just got your tail whipped. I mean, it, it is it is the Chiefs, though. It is the Chiefs. <laughs> it's kind of hard to stop those guys. So, you know, going into the offseason – they're going to go back to the chalkboard and actually look at what they did wrong. But he's just, you know, one thing I learned from him was just that leadership capability. He was, he, even though he had a rough run in that AFC championship game, he kept his poise and he did not like what happened with his teammates at the end of the fourth quarter. He said, that is not us. That is not us. And he wanted people to know that that's not how the Bills organization is run. Everybody are winners, whether they lose or anything of that is team sportsmanship. And he did not like how, you know, there was going to a lot of back and forth, you know, pushing and shoving. He did not like that. So as a leader, that's something I enjoy. That is something that will definitely make Buffalo fans happy. Speaking about happiness, you're going to be covering the Super Bowl coming up here in Tampa, Florida and Bucks and Chiefs. How do you feel about this matchup? Oh, man. It's going to probably be a high-scoring high game, to be honest. No defense, because both teams are very lackadaisical when it comes to defense, to be honest. <laughs> true, um, true. The key factor, I don't think anybody can stop Tyreek Hill. That was the key factor. And the Bucks, um, they have been giving up, well, I think 26 points per game to opponents. Yes. So, so they will be eating. Like, Tyreek Hill will be eating. <laughs> And then, of course, like you don't have to put a man over the top or either a man underneath. So you still got um, uh, what's my man name? Uh, Travis Kelce. You still Travis got him. Kelsey. Still yeah. got Sammy Watkins, and you still got a running back out there. So it's going to be hard with them. And then Brady, like I said, the last two games, he looked like an aging quarterback. He did not look like Tom Brady. He looked like Peyton Manning. And uh, going against this type of defense, and we already know the Chiefs. Are, um, they could put pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And one thing about Tampa Bay, which all year young, all year long has been their problem, is their offensive line. They can't protect Brady like that. And so I think the Chiefs will blow this game out in the second half. I think it would be very competitive in the first half, but I think it's going to be probably like 30-17 30 final score. Chiefs. I like it. What feels more important? What feels like a more important headline? Tom Brady getting to his tenth Super Bowl, or Patrick Mahomes going to back-to-back Super Bowls, and he's only in his early twenties. Not none. Um, it's more so of the passing of the torch. Because oh. you look at, okay, you, you look at it. Yeah, yeah, you look at it. Brady has been the, the face of the NFL for, for long. So if he loses, Patrick Mahomes is now the face of the NFL. And with that team, they have reconstructed everybody's contract and everybody's together for. 
longevity terms. So this is a team to beat. So I don't know who's going to beat this team because, like I said, I could sit there and talk all day about their defense, but you just got to outscore these people. We saw that with the Raiders. They had to outscore them. And a, a healthy Patrick Mahomes, a healthy Tyreek uh, uh, Hill, a healthy Sammy Watkins, a healthy um, Hilaire, uh, LeVon Bell, you know, they're just stacked all around. But with Tampa, it all goes through their offensive line. So my whole thing, yes, it's nice about Tom Brady, but it's more so of the passing of the torch. Like, you have to look at it. This is more like a Magic and Michael Jordan aspect. Like, Tom Brady doesn't want to pass that torch down, but Mahomes will be getting that torch at the end of the night. I love it, Fago. I love it. All right, final question before you head off here. By the way, thank you so much for coming on. I know you only had a limited time uh, coming on. Uh, I want to talk about the NBA for a moment here. How much, how much steam do you feel like Bradley Beal's unhappiness with the Wizards is going to have in this season? Oh, man. Uh, that's a good question. I think, honestly, he should have been, A, traded, or either, you know, asked for a trade, demanded a trade. I mean, he's not happy there. You bring in Westbrook, and they still lose in games. They don't have enough pieces to keep both those guys happy. Because in the end, like, you, you haven't heard Westbrook say anything. I mean, he's been media trained. You know, you could tell that he's kind of frustrated, but also you haven't really heard him say anything vocally. Bradley Bill, he's not the type of person to be very vocal, but his actions speak louder than words. I mean, you, the man been putting up, you know, numbers off the charts. But my thing is, his loyalty is there, but you got to give the man more pieces in order for him for him to actually stay. I think he's going to actually move elsewhere because it's nothing like he has done all he has all he could do with Washington. And Washington is not going anywhere. You brought in Westbrook and they still losing. So my whole thing is, I think before the trade deadline, I think he's going to probably ask for a trade. What team could you see him fit in? Mm-hmm. Oh. Man, that's a good question. Maybe Miami? I, I knew that was coming up because he went to the University of Florida, yes. Uh. Maybe maybe Miami or either you can put him trying to uh, – I want to say – I honestly thought Houston was going to try to grab him. <laughs> Be, yeah, because he's more durable than John Wall. John Wall, as soon as he got over there, wait, what happened? He got in. That's Wall is a phenomenal player when he's healthy. When he's not healthy, that causes a lot of riffraff. And that team is a fairly young, and they lost a lot of pieces this season. So, and then, or or either you can put him down with uh, you know, San Antonio. Oh, like he, oh, yeah. yeah, he he plays more so half court offense anyway. And so his game is more so of San Antonio. And if uh, Coach Pop is still there, or either Becky, or either, well, Tim Duncan's not going to be coaching, but Becky, I think they can actually utilize him. All right, speaking about utilization, the All-Star game is moving to early March. What does this do now for the NBA schedule? Uh, I really don't like it because... Fans is still not, you know, welcome. They're going to have limited fans. So why would you hold an NBA All-Star weekend or a game if no fans is going to be there? I mean, hell, just do a bubble format. That's <laughs> it. I mean, to be honest, that's like what I'm watching right now is what's going to be happening at the NBA All-Star weekend. Um, if you've ever been to NBA All-Star weekend, it's phenomenal. Fans are out there. My whole thing is even with Super Bowl as well as the NBA All-Star weekend, you don't really have that fan engagement. I mean, 
hell, we got the Super Bowl and there's only 20,000 20, fans that's going to be there. And it's super weird. Usually it packed so much activities do, to do during out the, the entire week. Now, you only got a weekend. There's only like a couple of events, da, da, da. And this is breaking history. So I can only imagine with the NBA All-Star Weekend. What is this? Like, no. You feel you feel better there, Fago? I had to close it out with one question I knew that I was going to get the most out of but he is the breaking news king Mr. ESPN himself Fago Franklin III thank you so much for joining us here on the Turning Points Podcast and also appreciate you telling both sides of the story thank you thank you for having me definitely have a blessed one my brother alright special thanks to uh, Fago Franklin III I greatly appreciate his insight on some of the stories that we broke down. We even got a little bit deeper on the Chad Wheeler story. And as you can mention, as I've mentioned before, you can listen to that final turning point right here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, We will actually have the time up there on social media. Now let's get to our final guest of the week, and that is Ruth Kakias. Ruth Kakias has been a busy woman. She is the co-host of the Martine Grammatica show on Z Living. She is the host of Beauty and the Cleats podcast. And she is also the co-host of the Tom Gronkowski show on SFBNRI. And she is also a huge fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I knew I had to bring her on to break down Super Bowl 55. Let's get to it. Here is Ruth Kakias next on the Turning Points podcast, where we tell both sides of the story. If there is one thing I do, I pay up on a bet. And we're back here on the Turning Points Podcast where we tell both sides of the story. I'm Jake Ronholt. The bet was is that if the Packers won, if the Packers won or lost, I would appear on the Martin Grammatica show or she would come on the Turning Points Podcast. Ruth Kakias is her name and she is the co-host of the Martin Grammatica show. She is now joining us here on the Turning Points Podcast. I might even have another bet set up for Super Bowl 55. We're going to get into that. But listen to this resume. On Z Living, you can find the Martin Grammatica show, Beauty and the Cleats podcast, and she is the co-host of the Tom Gronkowski show on SFBNRI. She now joins us here. Ruth, thank you so much for joining us. All right, before we get into the box here, I want you to get your, get your thoughts. Matthew Stafford to the Rams... Jared Goff to the Lions. How do you feel about this trade? I am excited to see Matthew Stafford actually going to an organization and a team that are going to put the weapons around him for him to show his skills. I feel like he's been almost in prison being with the Detroit Lions for the past 12 years. I mean, this was a number one draft pick. He obviously has talent and hasn't been able to show the world what he's really capable of. With him going to the Rams, I wasn't as soon as I saw, uh, heard. Uh, I believe it was the GM or the owner of the Rams with his comments about Jared Goff and the uncertainty he had in his voice and the stuttering and the like. You know, he was feeling pressured. I knew that Jared Goff was going to make his exit. Wasn't really impressed with his performance this year or the year, the season before that. I mean, I just I saw it coming. I'm happy about it. Matthew Stafford is going to be elite you know with uh with Sean McVay and the offense that they have and the, the Rams I, I I think it's going to be really exciting and it's going to add uh more great for the NFC West short term or long term for the Lions well as we discussed yesterday when it came to a trade I really feel like the Detroit Lions are in this rebuilding stage obviously they're cleaning up the mess 
of Matthew Patricia after him making his exit midseason. Yeah. They're definitely in that, that that starting up process where they're, you know, with all these draft picks, with Jared Goff as well, they're all just kind of renewing the team. And I'm hoping that they use these draft picks wisely to pick up some pieces for the defensive side of the ball as well as get uh, Jared Goff some weapons because that's really what struggled with Matthew Stafford is he had no one to throw the ball really. So I'm excited to see the changes that are going to happen with the Lions because they've been, you know, irrelevant for quite some time now. Yeah, this trade came out of nowhere. Not even Bob Quinn could come up with this during his time in Detroit. I mean, we're talking about two first-round picks in 2022, 2023. They got a high draft pick going into the 2021 draft. They got a third-round pick. They brought in Anthony Lynn as an offensive coordinator. Defensive coordinator will be Aaron Glenn, the former great cornerback for the New York Jets. Deuce Staley's the assistant head coach. So their understanding right now, it kind of feels like they're going long-term with this. They're telling Lions fans Look, you got to be patient. Two or three years down the road, then we could start talking about playoffs and winning the division. Because this is a team that was 13-29-1 in their last two and a half seasons. So it's going to take time. Detroit was in the bottom five in defense. And so you got to give them time with Dan Campbell. As you mentioned with the Rams, though, here's something that was interesting. Jared Goff, 60 touchdowns, 19 interceptions in 2017 and 2018. 2019 and present. 42 touchdowns and not 29 interceptions. So you could tell after Jared Goss signed that contract, he was not able to live under the pressure of Sean McVay and reminded himself that this is not McVay's guy. It was Jeff Fisher's guy. So we understand that. All right. So I'm let- happy that Matthew Stafford is just going to have an opportunity yeah. to kind of revive his career because, I mean, I feel like he's one of the top you know, I would say top maybe 15 quarterbacks in the NFL right now. So this is just going to give him an opportunity need to revise his career and I mean he's only 32 years old so there's plenty of football to be played so we shall see what the Detroit Lions end up being next year I couldn't agree more yeah I mean he averages 25 touchdowns per year only 10 interceptions as well in his last five years and another thing is though I know everybody wants to bring this up and we're going to hear it all week on sports radio but Matthew Stafford has been injured the last couple of years. Now, I get the injury, a back injury, a leg injury. Yes, but he, when he is healthy, he is a very good quarterback. He's very competent. He'll actually have a legitimate offensive mind helping him going into this. And the Rams desperately needed this because you got Kyler Murray, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Russell Wilson, the 49ers. I don't care what anybody says. That team is going to be back in the playoffs next year because of just the way John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have done this. Rams had to make this move. All right. Ruth Kakias joining us here on the Turning Points Podcast where we tell both sides of the story. I'm Jake Ronholt. You can tweet me at at both sides sports. You can tweet Ruth at Ruth the truth. Speaking about that, the truth is out there. And that was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over my Green Bay Packers to Super Bowl 55. How does the outlook look right now for the Bucs going into their final game of the seas of the year? Okay, so Super Bowl 55, the number one thing on everybody's mind is can they compose or can they contain Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey? That's going to be the biggest attributes coming into this game is them on their mind. Defense definitely has to step up the game. Carlton Davis obviously got beat in Week 12 with that man-to-man defense when it came to Tyreek Hill, allowing him to have over 200 yards in the first quarter. That cannot happen. So the formula for this coming into this Super Bowl is going to be defense. Obviously, everyone knows that Tom Brady has an arm. Tom Brady in the playoffs, Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Yes, yes, yes. All these powerful weapons on the offensive side of the ball. Yes, but this is going to be a defensive game for the Tampa Bay Bucks, And I really think that they have it in them to, to get the job done. I mean, no one expected them 
to go into uh, the Mercedes-Benz uh, dome and shut down Drew Brees and put him into retirement. No one expected them to travel to Lambeau, to your team, and be able to Fair. contain the yeah. league MVP. No one expected that to happen. Aaron Rodgers almost had almost a perfect game, and they were still able to reign victorious, regardless of Tom Brady throwing three interceptions. This is going to be a, a really great sh- uh, showdown. I know it's not going to be that weak game that we saw before where it was the New England Patriots and Los Angeles Rams, and the Rams were only able to score three points, and the Patriots only had 13. I'm not expecting this to happen. These powerful house offenses, we're going to see a lot of points scored on the board, and it's all going to come down to who's going to be able to get the most stops on the defensive side of the ball. So great! it's going to be a great matchup, and I'm excited to see Super Bowl 55 because history is being made. You mentioned about defense. Uh, we know that Jordan Whitehead got hurt and Antoine Winfield Jr. What are the chances of them playing in the Super Bowl? I know the chances are very limited. I know Jordan Whitehead is dealing with that shoulder injury, but, I mean, we need these two players on the team. So I'm hoping that anything that's possible <laughs> for that, busy. you know, for their medical staff to get these two, uh, two, these two back in shape, we we desperately need them on, on defense. What about Antonio Brown? All right, Antonio Brown. Now, I wasn't the most excited person about this signing. Obviously, with a one-year deal, they just wanted him to come in and be that extra toy, that extra shiny toy that Tom Brady needed offensively. I don't think it was a necessity, but now that he's here, you were paid for a one-year deal for one specific job to help us win the Super Bowl. So I'm hoping that that knee injury is not going to get in the way. I mean, obviously, he had that MRI done, and they didn't find any serious structural damage to the knee. So I'm hoping with him having almost three weeks off, maybe almost four weeks off since not playing against Green Bay, then having the two-week bye before uh, the week bye before the Super Bowl, I'm hoping that Antonio Brown could come ready because we need every shiny offensive toy that we can get, and Antonio Brown is a big piece of that offense. Bigger reason that the Bucks are in the Super Bowl, Tom Brady or the Buccaneers' defense? The Buccaneers defense. Woo! There you go. Credit, That's why I bring credit you on. Credit is due. I mean, Tom Brady hasn't had the perfect season. Nobody really expected him to be able to get this team this far. But I, like I've said before on, on the sports arena, the defensive kind of has already been there in Tampa for the past couple seasons. I mean, I know like the first half of the season was kind of rough, but it seems like once they get to that that midpoint, that's when they really get the ball rolling, and that's when they really find that camaraderie that they need to be a defensive uh, team. And I think the defenses have really carried the Tampa Bay Bucks to this point. I mean, if you're able to capitalize on four turnovers in New Orleans and you're able to, you know, force Aaron Rodgers to throw two picks in week six, like this is obviously something that everybody needs to keep their their eye on because Shaquille Barrett, they call him Sack Barrett for a reason, put Aaron Rodgers on his back five times in the NFC Championship game. So, I mean, the pressure is there. Having Vita Vea back on the uh, defensive line as well to plug in those holes for those running backs not to find an outlet. Like, it's really exciting to watch. It, it's a Because, de- you know, defense wins championships. Because the oh, NFL yes. obviously turned into a more offensive league. Obviously, everybody wants to see points on the board, add excitement, have people come to watch. But when it comes down to championship games, defense gets it done. So as much as I would love to give – a lot of, of course, I'm going to give the credit to Tom Brady as, as well deserved. I mean, he is the greatest of all time in his position. But when he's been slipping up and when he's been turning the ball over and looking a little careless, the Tampa Bay defense has been there to pick up the pieces. I couldn't agree more. That front seven is amazing to watch. I mean, I really love that the the 
you, as you said, the teamwork has been outstanding. I mean, Shaquille Barrett is a blessing in disguise, you know, bringing him in from Denver, uh, becoming one of the top sack, uh, sack leaders in the NFL. I mean, he's one of the best outside of him and Sedarius Smith. And, you know, even Chase Young even had a good year as a rookie. But also it's Levante David, I feel like. And nice. once again, for the second time in a row, the Packers were not ready for Levante David. Because even though he didn't make the plays, when they were able to take him out, he still knew what was going on. He still knew who to trust and used his other linebackers and his pass rushers to help him out. And that was one thing that really helped out this defense. I also love the way Ndamukong Sue and Jason Pierre-Paul are playing right now. It's like the movie Cocoon. They went to the Fountain of Youth and found out how truly good they still are when they were at Wake Forest and Nebraska at this point. And that is something that is going to be major because this just came, this came in last Monday, Eric Fisher out for the rest of the year with a torn Achilles. That means now that the Kansas City Chiefs will be out with both of their starting offensive tackles going forward. So what? how big of a deal is this now for the Chiefs offensive line against this Bucks defense? That's a huge deal. If you're losing, if you're missing those key pieces to really be able to, you know, extend those runs who are able to protect Patrick Mahomes, when you take them out of the equation and you add in the Tampa Bay's uh, defense and that defensive line have been who has been getting better and better with every game, Patrick <clears throat> Mahomes has to have that on the back of his mind that he doesn't have those key players to protect him and to get things done when it comes to running the ball, to give him time in the pocket. I know, you know, I could see it already. Patrick Mahomes is going to be doing a lot of running around this game. How much of a factor compared to Jameis Winston was Tom Brady to this piece of the to this final piece of the puzzle for the Bucks? Honestly, they just needed to eliminate those interceptions, and that's what bringing Tom Brady really did. He obviously has better football IQ when it comes to dealing with pressure and, and not having as many interceptions. I mean, thirty interceptions that kind of eliminates you when you're throwing over 5,000 yards in the season, it kind of eliminates all that. Nobody wants to hear that once you hear those 30 interceptions. So being able to eliminate that and plug in somebody like Tom Brady, who takes care of the ball, who earns the trust of his offensive players, I mean, it's been fantastic. And it's been, I mean, Jason Light, man, it just applause to him for being able to put the pieces around Tom Brady to get the job done. So you got a little round of applause there, Jason. Shout out to you. Uh, she is Ruth Kakias joining us here on the Turning Points Podcast where we tell both sides of the story. Tweet me at at both sides sports. Tweet Ruth at at Ruth the truth. Speaking about that, let's continue with the truth telling here. This offensive line has been the most improved offensive line in the National Football League this year. They gave up over nearly 50 sacks last year. This year, only 23. What's the big difference between last year's offensive line and this year's? I mean, the addition of Tristan Wirth, honestly, that first round pick uh, for the Tampa Bay Bucks has definitely, you know, it's kind of brought everybody together. And, and Tom Brady talks about it all the time, how this young rookie has been his best key piece when it comes to protection and not letting people like Chase Young get to Tom Brady. I mean, it's been unbelievable. They've been, it's like they kind of, now that they have Tom Brady behind the helm, it's kind of like they're working even harder because it's like we need to be a championship team because we have a Super Bowl winning quarterback to protect. So obviously, you know, with the eliminating of, of Jameis Winston and adding Tom Brady, I mean, that offensive line has definitely stepped up their game in so many ways. Ryan Jensen, one of the great greatest centers, I mean, Pro Bowl caliber center for Tom Brady as well. I mean, just adding those pieces together and just it's just been getting better and better with every game. <laughs> 
Yeah, Tristan Wirfs, I thought was a blessing in disguise for the Tampa Bay Bucks once again is that you talk about a right tackle. I was shocked when the Bucks got Tristan Wirfs because I watched him in the Big Ten, Iowa Hawkeyes. I mean, that's an offensive line school right there. It's Wisconsin or Iowa that is going to be guaranteed good offensive line. And if you watch his his hand movements, you watch his footwork, you watch how quick he is off the snap, how prepared he is off the blitz. That is something that the Bucks did not have last year, and worse is being able to help off the right side. Also, you see Donovan Smith improving. You mentioned Ryan Jensen had his best year yet as a center. That was a huge credit there to this uh, Bucks coaching staff. They've done a great job. Uh, another thing that has been uh, happening here, Rob Gronkowski has been quiet but effective but limited. So how is Bruce Arians using Gronkowski compared to how Belichick used to use him? Obviously, Bill Belichick has used Rob Gronkowski to the point where it's he's so easily hurt when you're using him so much. I feel like B.A. has really figured out that, okay, at this point of his career, we cannot be putting him in harm's way, so let's use him and, you know, for him to contribute to pass blocking, to, you know, protecting Brady, and then when no one is expecting him to make a big play, then we're going to, you know, set up an offense where we get the ball in his hands and he's able to gain 20, 30 yards and one run. So, I mean, it's been great that he's been able to play, you know, not only those 16 regular season games, but now going into the playoffs and he still seems to be healthy and ready to go. I mean, I think it was a smart move by Brian Leftwich and uh, Byron Leftwich and uh, Bruce Arians to utilize uh, Rob Gronkowski the best way possible, and they, they've it's been proven to work for them. How much of a factor is the Bucks running game with Fournette and um, Ronald Jones? The running game has been huge for the Tampa Bay Bucks, especially going into this postseason. Uh, Leonard Fournette has definitely kind of showed the world why the Tampa Bay Bucks made a good decision signing him to a one-year deal from the Jacksonville Jaguars. We're starting to see that same LSU Tiger that we all expected was still in him. I mean, the, the, the way that he's able, the yards after contact is, I think, is the most important thing because as a running back in that position, you're going to get hit right off the line of scrimmage. And for you to be able to average over four yards per carry, that's the best thing for our run. And I, and I know that it's, uh, oh, sorry about that. I know that <laughs> our running game, Ronald Jones as well, has been able to look up to Leonard Fournette. And he's kind of showing this young buck you know, the way to success. And I think Leonard Fournette has been outstanding between him and Ronald Jones. I know Keyshawn Johnson, obviously a rookie, and and he's having, you know, some slip-ups, but I know that he's going to come back stronger next year because he's able to have the talent and the the elite players in front of him to show him the way. So I'm excited for our running game. And it it just seems like the formula. Let's let's run the ball until we get to the about, you know, the 30-yard line, and then Tom Brady is going to throw a perfect pass kind of like almost like a basketball where it just falls right into the hands of the, you know, the offensive player in, in, the, uh, in the red zone. So it's been beautiful. All right. You're going to kick off our Super Bowl prediction week here. So who wins Sunday? <sighs> all right. With much consideration, because obviously this is Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, and I've been a fan of Andy Reid ever since he was in Philadelphia. I think that's why, you know, kind of jumped off the Philadelphia Eagles bandwagon is when they let – that caliber coach go as much as I want to say that the Tampa Bay Bucks are going to have an easy game I know it's going to be a shootout it's going to come out it's going to come down to the last few possessions in the fourth quarter so my prediction is a 31 
27 win for the Tampa Bay Bucks, and Tom Brady is going to get his seventh ring and be able to kind of drop the mic and, you know, make the decision whether or not he wants to come back in the NFL. All right, you heard it here. Ruth Kakias is going to take the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to top the Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl 55, 31-27. to All right, so we started off things with, with a bet. It was a small bet. I figure we need to kind of spruce this up a little bit here. So I tell you what. <laughs> Let's do it, Jake. All right, I tell you what. I'll pick one here. If the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win, I will sing that god-awful I mean, headache-inducing, Hey, Hey, Tampa Bay theme song on either the Sports Arena or the Martin Gramatica show if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win. That's my that's my that. thought. Now, I will take on that. if the Kansas City Chiefs win, I need to figure out what you will do for that. All right, just don't make me put on an Eagles t-shirt again. No Eagles t-shirt. No, no, no. This has nothing to do with the Eagles t-shirt and the uh, Porky Pig impression that was Nick Seriani during his press conference. No. Nope. This is has nothing to do with the NFC East. So I'm right, letting well, you, you pick. You know what? I hold up on my end of the bargain. So whatever you come up with, I'm down for. And uh, yeah, that's how much confidence I have in Tom Brady right now. Come on. You can't bet against Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Like, come on. Six out of nine? I mean, the record alone. This is his 10th appearance. This is obviously, you know, the, I, I don't think it was on purpose that Brady came and joined the Tampa Bay Bucks. I think the stars... <laughs> aligned perfectly for this man to come in and i honestly i made this prediction like, like two years ago i said the year that uh that brady goes back to the super bowl they need to have ariana grande do the halftime show and her sing her song seven rings she has a song that was on the radio <laughs> blowing up internationally and it was called seven rings i was like i think she made that song to collaborate with tom brady and him eventually winning his seventh super bowl ring Okay, I got it. All right, I just got a thought here. Patrick Mahomes' favorite condiment is ketchup. So I tell you what, if the Kansas City Chiefs win Super Bowl 55, you have to pick a food that you absolutely despise and you have to put ketchup on it. Will that work? Yeah, I guess. Oh! I, mean, I, am, I am a foodie. I, am I hit a, foodie, a nerve. So. I hit a nerve. <laughs> yes, I am a foodie, so that's going to be tough. Uh, but I am a pescatarian and I haven't had meat in a really long time, so. If anything, I'll eat like a big burger just to, you know, oh. put ketchup all over it. Wow. Yeah, By itself, no plant based, just straight beef. Okay. All right. That's how so confident I am. There you that's go. Okay. And that's how confident I am in the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, I'm going to so sing what, that terrible. Okay, what is it? Let me just swing it back to you. What yeah. is it about the Kansas City Chiefs that have you so confident? They obviously with their offensive weapons, but do you think their defense? could step up because, I mean, obviously we've seen slip-ups slip here and there, but will, will they be enough to, you know, contain someone like Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones as well as Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski? Do they have enough defensively to slow them down? I do think so because the be, because the same defensive coordinator that won Super Bowl forty two against Tom Brady was Steve Spagnola when he was with the New York Giants. He knows exactly how to get after Tom Brady. He knows when to blitz him. He knows when to get after him. He, they have Chris Jones, which really helps out uh, an improving linebacker core. But the scariest thing about the Chiefs is I call them the most complete team because they are never out of a game. They are never out. I mean, the Bills were spotted nine points, and suddenly they just go off on a tangent here. I mean, that's the thing is, is that you could be up 24 nothing, 
But the Kansas City Chiefs are not out of it because of the way Andy Reid is coaching up, Andy, Eric Bieniemy is calling out those plays, and then the way Steve Spagnuolo is just suffocating defense when they need to make a stop is amazing to me. And that's led by Tyron Matthew and Daniel Sorensen. They're the leaders of this team that really help out. And I figure they're going to try and give headaches. I, I know that Steve Spagnuolo can do this. Whoop. It appears that uh, Ruth uh, fell off the map here for a moment. But uh, like I said, uh, that's how I do believe that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl here. We apologize for that. Ruth Kikias will be joining us here back in just a few minutes. And uh, I tell you what, you know what, let's uh, let's take a break here. We'll have uh, more with Ruth Kikias coming up next here on the Turning Points Podcast where we tell both sides of the story. We apologize for those technical difficulties, but, you know, that's the ups and downs of Zoom meetings. We're back here on the Turning Points Podcast where we tell both sides of the story. Ruth Kakias is our guest from the Martin Grammatica Show, host of the Beauty and the Cleats Podcast, and co-host of the Tom Gronkowski Show on SFBNRI. My goodness, so many jobs. All right, let's get into this. All right, so we talked about the Buccaneers, the Super Bowl. I would be a fool if we did not talk about this. Chad Wheeler, former Seahawks offensive tackle, uh, Adam Schefter reported that he was charged with first-degree domestic violence assault, domestic violence, unlawful imprisonment, and resisting arrest. However, what is your thoughts on how this story was covered this week? I think there was a lack of coverage, to be honest. I mean, the situation had occurred the following or the previous Friday. I didn't hear about the news until Wednesday morning. So definitely a lack of coverage on the situation. Obviously, with these uh, higher networks, they obviously probably want to get as much information as they can before they pursue into making a story or whatnot. But when the story hit and it became very evident of the situation and how things went down, when we heard from kind of Chad Wheeler's point of view as well as the girlfriend, I mean, I feel like there was a very – something was missing. There wasn't – you know, there was no there was no stones unturned when it came to – the Kareem Hunt situation, when it came to Ray Rice and that elevator situation, to now his wife. I mean, we saw it all day long on Sports Center, CNN, CBS, ESPN. Like, you couldn't turn any major televised network on without seeing the actual video footage, as well as them discussing about what should happen, dragging their names through the dirt. Like, it was just, it was almost kind of ridiculous and I understand the, the like the seriousness of the situation but when it came to Chad Wheeler I feel like it's almost silent and I don't know if it has to do with him being a, a Caucasian man and it being against a black African-American woman I'm not really sure what it is but the women in the world right now are feeling unappreciated and the black one the black community especially are feeling like like us people and, and, and the media it's our responsibilities to you know, drag out the drag their names to the dirt. Make sure everyone is aware of the situation. Make sure people are aware that there are you know justice is going to be had. But I don't think they're they're doing their part when it comes to exploiting Chad Wheeler and his decision to do what he did. And I just think it's been taken a little bit. They're not doing enough uh, at the end of the day. And uh, like I, because I said, like I alluded to before, we saw it all day long when it came to the Ray Rice situation, when it came to these MLB players as well. Like it always gets put on blast. And with Chad Wheeler, I don't know if they're maybe feeling sensitive about it because it was a manic episode and he has, he struggles with mental illness. So maybe they're not, 
I'm not really sure, but I just, I feel like the black community right now is hurting and they feel like more needs to be done. But I'm glad to hear that he is, there's charges that are being pressed and I hope that they follow through when it doesn't fall off into the distance like we've seen many situations. Yeah, a lot of people are, you know, trying to give the NFL a pass. I'm not going to give them a pass. I haven't heard any statements from them. The Players Union did come on and make a statement that the players across the league want swift reaction to what happened to Chad Wheeler, that he never plays another down in the National Football League. I read an article on the New York Times. I did not appreciate how they said a woman as the headline uh, regarding Chad Wheeler when it could have been a whole different story. I mean, we saw it with Greg Hardy. We saw Ray McDonald. We saw what Ray Rice. And to me, I just felt like this this was like just under the radar. You know, it's we're talking about Super Bowl here. We don't want to talk about this. But the fact is, is that after the Ray Rice thing happened, we had multiple commercials about, you know, domestic violence against women. And if you saw the pictures, this was attempted murder. I mean, this was sick. I was reading the details, viciously attacked the victim, choked her out multiple times. Even when she was able to wake up again, he choked her again. And then when she came out of the bathroom and he was sitting there sipping on a smoothie, he says, quote, oh, you're still alive. Are you kidding me? So sad. Not That's one thing. So disheartening. So how can the NFL, how, how can the NFL and how can the sports media going forward? This is the final question. What can they do going forward to make sure that this doesn't happen again? I mean, it's when it comes to people with mental illness, I mean, obviously that is not excuse for his his actions. But I mean, it needs to be monitored. Apparently, he wasn't taking his medication for the condition that he suffers, whether it be bipolar or manic episode, whatever it is. He wasn't doing the proper steps to take care of that. And when you're an NFL player and you're getting, uh, you know, told to be in practice every day when they're monitoring your health and your physical you know, body that they, it should be mental as well. I mean, these, these NFL players take a lot of devastating hits. I mean, they get hit in the helmet and they are, you know, exposed to traumatic injuries on a day to day basis. So not only do their physical bodies need to be monitored, but their mental as well. So I think the NBA needs to, or I'm sorry, the NFL needs to take some action when it comes to monitoring me- mental health as well as physical health when it comes to these NFL players. Ruth Kikias. Host, uh, co-host of the Martin Gramatica Show and the Tom Gronkowski Show on SFBN and also Z Living, uh, Beauty in the Cleats podcast, and she loves her Buccaneers, but I also do appreciate her coming on to talk about uh, this unfortunate story that was under the radar with the Chad Wheeler thing. And uh, Ruth, thank you so much for joining us here in the Turning Points podcast. Thanks for telling us both sides of the story. She is so excited right now. Oh, there she is. <laughs> She's so speechless right now. Okay, there. Can you hear me, Ruth? I can hear you. (laughs) Okay, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for telling us both sides of the story. You're terrific. Thank you so much for having me, Jake Ronhall, and keep doing your thing because you are blowing up, my friend. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, special thanks to uh, Fago Franklin III and Ruth Kakias for joining me here on the Turning Points Podcast. We are going to have guests next week. We already have one booked, and that's... uh, Matt uh, Freilich from the Pack-A-Day podcast will be joining us to talk about some Packers, some more on the Mike Pettin saga, and what is next for them defensively. And we're working on a couple more guests. I'm not going to tell you who, but we're working on it, and we'll see if we can get them on next week because it is Super Bowl week. We don't have a radio roll this time, so we're going to have to depend on the podcasting 
That's why we do it here on the Turning Points Podcast. I want to thank my guests. The top five turning points were a blast. If you missed any of them, you can actually find my video feed on youtube.com slash both sides of the story. You can find it right there. Until next time, this is Jake Rongel telling you, please always tell both sides of the story. And we'll see you next time on the Turning Points Podcast. You are listening to it right here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. Have yourself a great night, and we'll see you next week.